Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Called Podcast. Tonight, we welcome some punk rock royalty to the show. Member of the band that started it all, the Ramones, I'm honored to welcome to the show, CJ Ramone. CJ, how are things? All right, not too bad. Are you in California now? You're not even on the East Coast at all? I am. I, uh, I moved to the East Bay in San Francisco about, um, about two and a half years ago. Um, I, uh, my, my wife, when we first got together, she moved from here to New York and, uh, we always kind of had an understanding that when, uh, when our kids were of the right age, we would, we'd be the path out here. So that's what we did. Well, you're such a road guy. Has this pandemic been hard for you having to stay at home? You know, this has been the most time I've spent at home probably in, you know, 20 plus years. But um, uh, although the circumstances are kind of crappy, I really don't mind being home. Um, I really uh, enjoy the you know enjoy the time at home. I've been able to uh, spend a lot of time with my wife and kids and catch up with you know, catch up with my buddies on the terra firma. And um, uh, you know, uh, just I, I really use this time. It positively, like I, I actually dumped, chopped a bunch of weight. Um, I mean, I've studied healthy and training to run a marathon, so I've, I've tried to make a, make the, the best out of a bad situation. You are still breaking up. Is it possible if I can just call you right back? I, I wonder if it's my phone. Hello. I can already tell this is better. Okay, great. Yeah, so it's my phone. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's a weird thing. Like we've we've been having um, issues with the uh, with cell phone service and um, internet ever since this whole thing started, and we're wondering if it isn't because my wife is gobbling up a lot of the uh, the bandwidth in the house because she's working from home. Yeah, that's that's a really good possibility. Yeah. Well, how much have, how much have you like stayed creative during this time? Have you been writing a lot of new stuff? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I um, I've been um, I actually had planned on this is funny. So last year, I kind of announced that as far as my solo stuff goes, that I was retiring, that I wasn't going to uh, go out on the road and tour. You know, that I, that I would stay active. You know, do a show here and there and and record, but that for all intents and purposes touring, uh, I was just going to be done with it. <clears throat> um, you know, I, I had just not been treating myself good for years and years and years, and it really, it really caught up with me, uh, uh, last year. So, um, when this, when this hit, it was actually supposed to be my first year of retirement. So I know it's not a great situation and everything, but for me, it actually always timed as good as it possibly could have been. So, um, my plan was my next album I was going to put out was an, um, uh, an acoustic album. I was just going to do, um, all acoustic stuff because I generally, I write on acoustic and, um, and there's some songs that you write them on acoustic, they translate to electric, no problem. And, and, you know, they, they sound great, but there are other songs that just don't translate that well. And because some of them are, are not necessarily, you know, um, kind of fun party type songs, they actually sound a lot better in, um, on acoustic. And, and I've always kind of had the, 
Um, you know, to me anyway, you can't say everything there is to say with distortion and, <laughs> and, uh, and aggressiveness. And, uh, you know, of course, the older I get, the, the more open I am to, to doing and trying different things. So I, um, I decided to do that record. But of course now with all of the acoustic stuff that everyone's been doing, that, that part of it was pretty ill-timed. Um, I don't think that, um, I, I think people have probably had enough of acoustic style stuff for, for quite a while, but I am still going to go ahead. I, I probably have, you know, 20 or 30 songs written. Um, so I'm, I will go ahead and, and record them. I'm just not sure how I'm going to release them or, or, you know, you know, what exactly I'll do with them. Um, I've, I've considered everything from, um, just, uh, playing them, um, videoing them and just putting them up, putting them up on my, uh, on my Facebook and YouTube channels. Or if, uh, or if I wanted to do a traditional record and, and release it on vinyl and all the other formats, but yeah, I've been staying pretty creative. I've been, you know, hammering away at my book. I've been writing a book for years and years and years, but I'm caught in that terrible cycle of being a self-editor, and that's a, a hard thing to break once you fall into it. But I'm trying to stay as creative as I possibly can. And I've also done a couple of things with other people, too. So, Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that because you always had a soft side, especially when you went into your solo work. Did you prefer playing the more like romantic kind of songs that the Ramones were doing, or did you prefer playing something like Commando? Yeah, when you know when the Ramones, when I was touring with the Ramones, of course I enjoyed the heavier stuff. I absolutely preferred them live, and I preferred them in general. But you know, the older you get, the more um, I think you know the the the, the more the the persona and you know, this, this ego that you've created over a, a long period of time, kind of, you know, you, you stop believing your own bullshit at some point, I think. And, uh, I really, really embraced the, the, the poppier and the, um, more, uh, heartfelt stuff that, that Joey wrote and the ones that Dee Dee wrote also, um, as time, as time went on. And, uh, and, and I realized that when I made an album, I wanted to make a, a, a well-rounded album. I wanted a, an album that could express, you know, everything in, rather than just one thing. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, 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 kind of enjoy, I kind of enjoy the mellower stuff. But it's all perspective, right? When, as you get older, you, you know, you, you have more things to say because you've been through more. You know, you feel more because you've you've had more relationships, and you know you 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 start to appreciate what's really important and what's not. And and it's nice, you know, for me anyway, it's nice to talk about all of that stuff. And uh, and uh, and I've you know that as far as my solo records go, I I embraced all that. And it's just kind of cool that the Ramones always, you know, I came from a band that always had both you know, all of those sides, you know, the poppy fun side, the, the heartfelt, you know, brokenhearted side and the aggressive, angry, you know, side to it. They were a multi-dimensional band and, you know, that, that, uh, that really, uh, they were as good at, they were as good as 
any one of them um, at all of them. So, so uh, I, I, I really, uh, I was kind of groomed for that by them and, and eventually found my own way there too, just through life experiences and all that good stuff. Well, those guys used to talk a lot about how you shouldn't be a punk rocker after like the age of 50. <laughs> You and you, you and Marky, and and even Elvis, yeah, still keeping that shit alive. Looking back on it now, do you think that they would have agreed with that now? And what? And if if you do think that, what do you think that they would think of you still out there doing your thing? You know, uh, it, it's funny. Punk rock um, is really uh an expression it's a youthful expression right punk rock is is looking at the world and seeing all the things that you know aren't fair or should be changed or or you know trying to give voice to to things that you know don't have a place in in mainstream uh, that's really what punk rock is all about right it's all about just we got our own thing this is the world that we want to live in and this is how we're going to do it um, and that really never, never goes away. It doesn't go away. Even when you get older and you're satisfied and you really don't have to, you know, have anything to be uh, angry about. I mean, I said that to somebody recently, uh, I was like, you know, they were like, wow, don't you kind of feel like you're betraying your roots, you know, doing an acoustic album if you're a punk rocker. And, and I said, and I told him, I said, no, not at all. You know, it's punk rock. It, you know that's a very conservative kind of point of view to to say well this is what it is and it can never change you know what i mean and that's not that's not very punk you know punk is you're supposed to be questioning everything all the time that's that's punk you know and and as you get older you just start to question you know other things you know not necessarily more meaningful, but, you know, deeper things and things that are not just related to, you know, raging hormones of your youth and, and, um, and a narrow worldview because, uh, you know, you're, you're limited on your, your own experiences. Um, when you get older, you, you just see things differently and, and you, you, uh, you voice things differently. It, it's really hard for me to, to get on stage and pretend I'm mad or pretend that I'm angry. You know what I mean? Uh, because I understand things now that I didn't understand before. When I was a kid, yeah, I was angry and like every other kid because you see wrong things in the world and and your your only um, your only way of dealing with them is to call attention to them. Right is to say this is wrong. You know, everybody look. This is wrong. This is wrong. When you get older, you realize that there's ways to try to make things better. And of course, you know, ultimately, what you get to is that there are some things that you can't change, and you have to, um, uh, you know, you have to just give voice to that. And so it's kind of like a full circle thing. Um, you know, uh, and even though it's for different reasons, you know, um, when you get older, you realize you can only give voice to certain things. Um, but when you're younger, it's more that you just don't know anything else. You don't know how to do anything else, but to give voice. So you really kind of do, uh, go full circle, uh, you know, in that process. But the, um, but the really, to me anyway, and it's 
you know, people say, ah, oh, that's just because you're old, you're saying that. But that is true, the truth of it. From my perspective, you know, I've, I never stopped being a punk. I never stopped questioning everything around me. I never stopped, you know, trying to do things my way. And that's, you know, to me, that was always the, the important part was to do it my way. Not, you know, not, not what I'm told I should be, you know, doing, not, you know, how anybody else thinks it should be done. I look at something, I see, you know, I see something that I want to give voice to and I do it my way. And whether that is, you know, on an acoustic or an electric or in poetry or writing about it in my book or, you know, making it a topic of conversation at the table with my wife and my kids or talking with my buddies about it in the bar, I'll find a way to give voice to it, but in a way that I want to do it and in a way that I feel like is constructive. And that's, I mean, that's, that's what punk rock is, is really about. Well, you were definitely more of an East Coast punker than, let's say, what DC excluded. Yeah. Than 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 the L.A. and and London style punk, which was definitely a lot more rooted in politics. Yeah. You kind of stayed away from that your entire career. But do you find yourself now, being older, looking back on on the more political stuff and and appreciating that a little bit more, even though you were not really a part of that at any point in your career? I mean, I always, I liked, I liked the bands with, with political opinions. You know what I mean? I liked the bands that spoke up about politics and, 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 uh, and, and, you know, that, that's a, that's a legitimate, legitimate form of, um, of expression, right? That's like we were talking about before with the meaning of punk rock is seeing something and wanting to give voice to it. You know, California I didn't, um, it, 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 regardless of whether or not I could relate to the lyrics, the music was great. And the anger that they sang with was great. And even the things that they were saying, you know, if the kids, uh, you know, they'll never be divided. I mean, that kind of stuff, when you're a kid, that is what you want to hear. That's what you want to hear. You know, I mean, it makes you feel like you belong. You know, it, it gives you something positive to, to believe in. Um, uh, you know, the, the sex, I, you know, the sex pistols are awesome. One of the greatest punk rock bands of all time. Absolutely. Um, a lot of politics in there, uh, in, you know, in, in their music too. Um, I, n- not that I could relate to all of it, but even still that, 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 um, that attitude and that feeling and that, uh, uh, just that angst, that rebellious angst. Uh, when you're a kid, you really identify with that. That just is like, boom, really speaks to you. So, uh, so I loved all that stuff. You know, I, I, I totally enjoyed all that stuff. My favorite um, punk rock band from England, though, was The Damned. <laughs> they were the band that I really liked the, the most. You know what I mean? Um, and well, it's funny because I was I was honestly going to ask: do, do you feel like you related more to a band like The Damned then? Because it was closer to the remote. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, The Damned were. Yeah, it's it's really the um, the 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 feeling in the in the music. You know, what I mean, it's really the the energy and the music that I really, really dug. And 
you know, that Bam just had that fiery, you know, fast-paced, um, real, you know, driven sound to them that I, I really enjoyed. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, later on, like, I even liked the, 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 their goth stuff and all of that. I, I really appreciated it. But, you know, what, what, I come to, what I came to realize over the years was I really liked stuff that was more um, – uh, kind of storytelling. Um, I like stuff that was more artistic. I like the poppier stuff, you know, I mean, even, you know, you know, even with the New York bands, um, you know, the Ramones to me were, I mean, that was like the greatest, um, assemblance of all the different things I liked about music. Well, I was all the Ramones. That was like everything that I loved about music. And I was a huge heavy metal head. You know what I mean? Like I loved Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath and Judas Priest. And especially though with Maiden and Sabbath, again, it's storytelling. It's, it's, you know, the lyrics that when you listen to them and you, you try to understand them, like I love diving into all of that type of stuff. I guess maybe a little bit more heady or whatever, how, you know, more intellectual or however you want to explain it. But, you know, I really dug that stuff. Black Sabbath, you know, had a lot of stuff, um, a lot of lyrical stuff dealing with the end of the world, dealing with the battle of good and evil, dealing with drug addiction and stuff like that. I really loved all that stuff. I'm a, a child of the Cold War period, so, you know, nuclear destruction was always not far from our minds, whether it was, you know, um, you know, bomb drills at school or watching the news. It really, when I was a kid, it was a major part of my growing up. So listening to Iron Maiden and listening to Black Sabbath and, you know, a lot of the heavy metal stuff later on, Metallica and, and Slayer and all these other bands singing about things that I identified with. Um, the political stuff, I never did. I, I didn't really identify with the actual political positions. I identified with the anger and the frustration um, that was, you know, that was part of it. But I, ne- I never really identified with the political positions. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned being a big metalhead early in life because do you feel like the baselines of Geezer Butler and just the whole Black Sabbath aesthetic? is really what drew you to pick up the bass in the first place? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I was, that was, um, I, I, you know, I, all the music I liked before, I liked the music. You know what I mean? I liked the music. Black Sabbath was the first band that I kind of found on my own. And the bass sound just leaped out at me and I was instantly blown away. I have to say though, um, going way back, I used to be a big fan of Yes, and Chris Squire's bass lines were always up front. They were always like in front of everything else, um, and that, that that's truly, if I had to say, the first bass player that ever made me sit up and listen, it was Chris Squire, but the first bass player that made me want to play bass was Giza Butler. That's when I decided, like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Well, what was the kinds of music being played in your house? What were your parents throwing on on as a record just on a Tuesday night? 
What, like what what kind of influences did they bring to you? I'm lucky in that my my mom and dad had super diverse music ta- musical tastes. I mean, you know, it, my, my dad loved all the 50s stuff, all the doo-wop stuff. Um, but he, you know, also there was all of the um, um, classic rock stuff, you know, everything from Hendrix to, you know, Zeppelin, Janis Joplin, all of that stuff. Um, um, but country is probably the the musical style that I heard the most when I was a kid. That's probably uh, was the most common. And that's, you know, the classic, you know, Johnny Cash, Patsy Cline, Hank Williams, you know, all, all that stuff, all the way up through um, the 70s stuff, everything, you know, you know, Buck Owens or Crystal Gale or Mickey Gilly and, uh, you know, of course, Willie Nelson, I consider a classic. Uh, Willie, Nel- Wilson, Willie Nelson, uh, Waylon Jennings, I mean, like that all, all the way through. So I, I listened, I was probably more well listened to country music than any other style. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, and then, you know, you know, my, my mom even liked, uh, you know, some of the, the uh, classical stuff and whatnot. I was exposed to a lot of different music. And, it, 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 you know, from when I was young, I really latched on hard to music. And, you know, just, uh, you know, back going back in the early 70s to the mid-70s, driving around with my dad, listening to AM radio and listening to, you know, all the Motown bands and Stax bands and i mean like i really got exposed to everything you know um by the time i was in my early teens you know disco was like the big thing and um while i never really became a fan of uh, of disco there were some uh there were some bands in there that i knew from other time periods like the bgs um some of the early bg songs that when they came out with um um, their latest stuff, the disco stuff, even though I, I wasn't a big fan of Saturday Night Fever or anything like that, like songs like um, Nights on Broadway, uh, still I was like, boom. So I connected with so many different types of music. And to this day, I still listen to everything. But I connected to so many different types of music. Um, I never really had a musical identity, so to speak, until I really listened to uh, heavy metal and punk rock. That's when I really kind of formed my own uh, musical identity, and and once I went down that road, that was all I listened to for years and years and years, and and um, and it it probably had more influence on my playing um, than than anything else. Growing up in Queens, did you think it was easy to find the kinds of art that you were looking for, even even past music, even like the kinds of movies that you wanted to see back then? Was it easier because you were in New York? Well. So I, I was only in Queens as a as a little guy and moved out to Long Island. Um, so I really kind of grew up in a uh, kind of a cultural blank spot. Um, you know, there just wasn't all that much culture out there. So you know, I was really um, I really came up on on um, what I could see in the theaters. You know, I I used to. Uh, I was always into movies since I was a kid. I was always really into movies, um, uh, movies and, and, um, 
even uh, concerts were not um, that big when I was very young on Long Island. I did get to see some bands, but it wasn't until I was able to travel into Manhattan that I really started to see a lot of bands. Um, but yeah, most of my, uh, most of my culture came from pop culture, from music and movies. So, uh, you know, there was the, uh, the odd trip to the, into the city with, with the school to, you know, go to museums and whatnot that. And my, my aunts and uncles who still did live in Queens that I spent most of my summers with, um, uh, would take me, you know, to the Statue of Liberty or take me to the Museum of Natural History or MoMA or, you know, we'd ride the Staten Island Ferry. We'd take the subways over New York. And you have to remember, New York in the 70s was not, you know, uh, a very safe place. It was it was in pretty bad shape back then. So, you know, I got I, I got to experience a lot of that street culture, a lot of that inner city decay um, uh, type of stuff, too. So I'm, I'm believe it or not, I'm a pretty well-rounded pretty well, well-rounded person culturally. Do you think that your time in the military helped you mentally for the fast-paced nature of the Ramones? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've gotten that question, you know, how do you, you know, how do you justify your years in the military with being, you know, in a, in a punk rock band and being a punk rocker and everything else? And I never felt like I had to justify it. You know, if it was not for the Marine Corps, there is no way I would have ever lasted in the, in the Ramones. Before I went to the Marines, I was, um, you know, I, I, I just wouldn't have appreciated, uh, the situation I was in and I probably would have partied too much and gotten kicked out. But because I, you know, spent a little time in the Marine Corps and learned self-discipline and, you know, uh, le- really learned, uh, an appreciation for, um, opportunities and things like that. That's, that's what allowed me to, to get into the band and stay in the band. In fact, you know, besides the whole self-discipline thing and, 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 um, and just a good, you know, kind of wake up call. Um, Johnny had gone to military school when he was a kid and, um, it was something that he and I bonded on. And I think when, you know, when, when I first got in and, and he found out, I think that had something to do with his decision to take me into the band. You know, at that point, Didi was, um, you know, Didi was hard to, to deal with. It was hard to get things done. He was really hard to deal with. And um, I think at that point, Johnny realized that the band needed somebody who would come in and help stabilize the situation and uh, and allow the band to, you know, do what they wanted to do, which was tour and record. So, yeah, and, and I, I have to say, the, you know, the, I've, I can't tell you how many guys I know that served that are huge punk rockers, that punk rock is everything to them, you know, or, or heavy metal is everything to them. Um, you know, there's, there's just some people that have that thing where they want to serve, they want to do something that that they feel counts for something. You know what I mean? And the, and 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 for for some of us, and especially for somebody like me, you know, who you know, my dad's side of the family, everyone served. He's got one brother um, that couldn't serve because of uh, he, he was ineligible for a, a physical problem. Um, you know, for some of us, that was a that was a way out of where we were and a way for us to. Um, 
to do something where we felt we were serving a higher purpose. So, you know, there is no, uh, there is nothing, you know, there's no written rule that says if you served in the military, you can't be a punk. That's not the punk scene I came from. You know, the punk scene I came from, everyone was invited. It didn't matter your background, what you did for a living, what color you were, what religion you were. None of that mattered. None of that mattered. That's the punk scene I came from. Do you think that punk is more inclusive now? Oh, it's way less inclusive than it was. Way less inclusive. It's really, it's become like, you know, uh, to a large degree, it's become like everything else. Um, uh, you know, it happens, it happens to everything, you know, um, but it's way less inclusive. Now, if you don't, you know, march to a, a certain political ideal or you don't, you know, uh, you know, you have to dress the same way. Like when I was a kid, if you were a punk, you didn't wear a, a, a store bought shirt. You know what I mean? You didn't wear, you know, I, I used to make shirts for the, of the bands I liked. You know what I mean? Um, there was no fashion that went along with it. That came from the English thing. That came from, you know, that, you know, the bondage gear and all that. And that, and that was only because Malcolm McLaren owned the bondage gear store and he wanted to sell stuff. So he created a scene around, you know, what he was making his living from. But, you know, in our scene, that wasn't, that wasn't necessary. There was kids that dug that and dressed that way, but it wasn't necessary. You didn't have to look like that. You didn't have to belong to any, you know, political party or anything like that. The only thing that you had to believe was that everybody has the right to look, feel, and do what they want, as long as they're not messing with anybody else. That was the only thing that you really had to consider. That was the only thing that you had to believe to be part of it. That was the one requirement. And, and now it's, now it's ridiculous. It's, it's more conservative than, than, than heavy metal. Almost. It's almost like more conservative than metal. And not that conservatism is a bad thing. That's, you know, that I'm, I'm not making a political statement, but what I'm saying is that that's not what punk rock was about. It wasn't about, you know, put on uniform and march or die. You know, that's not what it was about at all. But unfortunately, that's what it's become. You know, that's what it's become. You know, if, if, uh, uh, if you don't, you know, if you don't share the, the, the political ideals, if you don't speak up for the things that they speak up for and everything else, then you're not part of it. And that's, you know, that's, that's not what it's supposed to be. You mentioned Dee Dee. Would you and lots has been made about Dee Dee at the end of the band. Yeah. Would you say that when you played with him, that a little bit of that had gone away and he had cleaned up a little bit, or was that really kind of just still there? Well, Dee Dee, believe it or not, after I was in the band for two years or three years, and Dee Dee cleaned up and and really got his act together and started, you know, recording and stuff again. He um. he actually went back to the Ramones and, and he went back to Johnny and said, Hey, I want to come back. And, um, and Johnny, you know, said, you know, no, you can't, 
Johnny was like, you know, we only got a little bit of time left and, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we're going to, we're going to finish out our career with the lineup we got now. So, um, so I was kind of surprised actually. And I, I didn't know that until probably two years ago, maybe three years ago when, when somebody from within the organization mentioned that to me, I had never heard that story before, but I mean, it really is, you know, to me anyway, it really says a lot about Didi that later on, um, after the Ramones retired, when we played in the, you know, that he asked me to be in the remains. Um, you know, all of that, I, I had a whole new perspective on all of that because all of a sudden I realized like he had no, I wouldn't have blamed him if he hated my guts after that, you know what I mean? But, um, but I ended up having a, 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 you know, a good friendship with Edie and, and even playing in the band with him and, and, uh, and, and, you know, I was just so shocked. I was really shocked to hear that, you know, that he had wanted to come back and Johnny said no. And that Didi, even, you know, with all of that history and everything came back and, and offered me a spot in the remains when he put the band together. You on the road. It's, it's, it's something electric. Honestly, you were so tight and the band that that you had right before the pandemic hit was so tight how much prep do you have when you're playing shows, especially when you just let the audience give you suggestions a lot of the time? When I, when I first started to play out, um, when I first started playing again after a, a pretty long hiatus, um, I went out with, uh, with Daniel Ray and Brant Bjork. I had done a couple of small things with some friends, but um, I decided early on, I'm not going to, I'm not just going to go use, you know, $50 a night guys and different guys in every country and, and just try to squeeze it as much money out of it as I could. I made up my mind that I was going to make sure that I had guys playing with me that, you know, first off had, they had to be Ramones fans, but that were, um, pros that were professional musicians you know, guys that really, real players. That's, that's what I decided I was going to do. And, um, you know, my, the first real tour I went out on road with was I had Daniel Ray, who's of course, you know, longtime producer and, and contributor to the Ramones, um, as well as a bunch of other bands, guys, a legend, um, and Brant Bjork from Caius, um, guy I've been friends with for years and who actually learned to play drums listening to Ramon songs. Um, I had those two guys out with me. And after that, um, I really tried hard to, to just have guys of that caliber with me. Um, and of course, you know, eventually my, my buddy, Steve Soto, um, who I went to when I decided I'm going to move forward with have, you know, getting back into music full time, um, you know, I recorded my first record Reconquista a couple of times and, and scrapped it. And then finally I went to Steve and I said, Steve, I have an album of really good songs that I like, and I just can't, I haven't been able to get it done. 
I haven't been able to get in the studio and really get it done. So Steve uh, called in a bunch of, you know, other big players and, and um, we got in touch with my buddy, um, Jose Mandelas, who was a drummer for, uh, who actually was a drummer in, in Steve's band, 22 Jacks, um, when I met Steve. But he also, uh, Jose went on to play with the Breeders and a bunch of other really big bands. Um, and the three of us got to the studio and then Steve and, and laid down all the basic tracks. And then Steve marched all these great players, everybody from Johnny Tubags from Social Distortion, Jay Bentley from, from Bad Religion. We had, um, who else did we have in there? Uh, good Lord. I mean, there's so many great players that came in. Um, oh, boy. Billy Zoom from X played. I mean, we really had Dennis Casey from Flog and Molly. We really had like a lot of great players come on the record. And after recording that record, it just kind of solidified the thing. Like, yeah, I, I have to treat people are coming to see CJ Ramon because I was in the Ramones. So everything I do is a reflection on the Ramones. And I really wanted to make sure that, you know, what I did lived up to that, you know, that I didn't, you know, that I didn't drag the reputation of the, and, the, and the legacy of the Ramones through the street by using, you know, you know, you know, just hired musicians for the night. Um, and uh, I really have um, tried to uh, maintain that, you know, the whole time. But once I got my my regular guys locked in, it didn't take more than two or three practices before we went out on the road to to make it sound good. You know, we re- it, it would only take a couple of days. And I there's this is a a basic rule of thumb. The first three shows on a tour are warm ups. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> li- it's basically live practice. Um, no matter how well practiced you are, and and this is unless you're a big kind, a big arena band or something like that. Those guys go, you know, rehearse with full production. They do the whole show, and and they are rehearsed down to you know every step they take on stage. Um, we we basically rehearse to really just to re-familiarize ourselves with the songs um, and each other and kind of just get that that uh, kind of good feeling of camaraderie going again uh, before we get out on the road. Um, that's the extent of our, our, our rehearsals. We're not in there, you know, I'm not practicing what I'm going to say between songs. I'm not, uh, you know, I, I'm not, you know, we're not saying, okay, at the, you know, at this part in this song, you know, you guys do this and we don't do, we don't do any of that stuff. It, you know, that just wasn't, I always like it to be a little bit more free flowing, a little more wide open. I like to, you know, leave the guy's room to be as creative as they want to be. You know, they don't have to play the same parts exactly live. Uh, I, I like a little bit of spontaneity in there. Um, uh, because I'm, myself i'm the opposite of that like i have to play the songs multiple 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 times um to really get them locked in i'm i'm not a naturally gifted musician although i play by ear um i i have to practice a lot so 
But as far as my guys go, they're good enough players, two or three rehearsals, and boom, we're on it. Well, is there any song that you really dread thinking about playing? <laughs> is there is there like one particular Ramon song that you're like, I haven't played this in a while. I hate playing this, but I'll do it. Sedated. I want to be sedated. It's you know, it's probably the song I played the most. It's the first song I ever played with the Ramones, and uh, and you know, it's one that that I have to play that people want to hear. Um, and uh, I do it for the fans. I don't, you know, I don't do it for myself. I do it for the fans. I know the fans want to hear it, and that's why I play it. That's something I learned from Johnny. He's like, you know, you got these bands that. Uh, that have been around for years and years and they put out a new record and they won't play any of their old stuff. They'll only play their new stuff. They're trying to force their fans to like their new stuff. And, uh, and Johnny said, you know, that's ridiculous. That's why the Ramones had the same set probably for the, you know, except for like three songs in the middle and, and swapping out on, um, encore songs. They played the same set for a year for the entire time I was in the band anyway. Did you think that your career might be over when the band was coming to an end? Um, I think it was over. I didn't think it was over, but I knew it would be different. You know, um, the stuff that I played immediately after the band retired with my band Los Gusanos was very far from the Ramon style. Um, uh, and, and going out you know, on tour was, you know, different. We were playing to, you know, 25 to 50 people a night when I saw that. So I knew it would be different. Was it going to be over? I didn't think so. I didn't think it would, you know, I didn't think like when you say over, I, I imagine you mean like over, like I won't be playing music for a living anymore. But, um, the only time I thought my, my, uh, career was over, um, was uh, just after my son was diagnosed with autism. Um, my when my son got diagnosed with autism, I realized I could not live on the road. I realized, you know, I needed to be um, uh, you know, I needed to be at home. I needed to be with my son. And um, I had no idea of you know, what the duration was. When my son was diagnosed, it wasn't all the information there is now. Um, I had no idea what it meant long-term or anything like that. So in my mind, I put music away. I, you know, I worked on um, Bad Chopper with a friend of mine. Um, and, uh, but, but, you know, I had put music away in my mind. I was working a nine-to-five job. I was, you know, well, not actually nine-to-five, but I was working a full-time job. And, and in my mind, you know, music was was kind of put put away at that point. Did you then come to realize that music could be a little bit therapeutic, not only for yourself but for your son? Yeah, I I never stopped playing. I mean, I had I kept my acoustic guitar. I would come home just about every day and sit down and pluck out a couple of chords and write a couple of lyrics here and there, and um, and a lot of that stuff is what ended up showing up on. Um, Ray Conquista, my first record. Um, but, uh, yeah, well, I, music, you know, I, I, I never thought music would be out of my life. You know, I, I always knew that I'd be, you know, at least playing a little bit. And I listen to it music constantly. It's constantly on in my house or in my head anyway. But, um, yeah, 
music is, it's not something that I can just, uh, if you have the music bug, you have the music bug. If it's a, if, if, if that's part of you, it's part of you. I know guys who, you know, who put, put their instruments down and never played again, but you know, they, they were playing for different reasons than I did. You know, I, I, you know, I play music because there's things in my head that I have to get out and I have to get them out constructively. And music gives me, you know, music is the vehicle that I do that with, you know, I'm sure some people paint, some people write books, you know, some, I'm sure there's people that do, you know, things that are not necessarily creative people who go fishing, you know, people who, uh, collect trains, people, you know, I mean, there's things that, that they do just for themselves that help to, um, get something out of themselves or, and put something into themselves. But, um, music, I'll, I'll always be doing music. I, always will and it, when I lose the ability to play or to write uh, or to um, or sing or whatever I'll, I'll probably just write lyrics that'll you know end up being poetry or something like that it's you know I, I have a busy mind <laughs> the band mentioned a lot how you were keeping them young during that last tour would you say that you noticed a change in the band being a little bit younger than them did, did it seem like a, like a farewell or did it seem like just another run of the mill for the guys was there anything different about that that final tour for you uh the last time i saw the ramones i saw them at lamore in brooklyn and they were a shadow of what they had been i mean you know the td was just strumming all the strings wide open they shut them off at the board you know, Johnny and, and Joey were barely moving on stage at that point. Um, you know, they still sounded good, but they just were nothing like they had been. Um, so when I came into the band, I was filled with the, you know, not just the excitement of, of being in the band and playing with the Ramones and everything else, but you know, this is, I was trying to express, I wasn't trying to, sub unconsciously, um, I think what I was doing was expressing what I saw the Ramones do on stage when I was young. And not that I did the same exact movements and nothing like that, but they were so physical on stage. So when I got on stage with them, I immediately became very physical. You know, I immediately became very active. You know, it was... I was, you know, mirroring what I had seen them do as a kid. Um, but the, uh, by the, but by the last tour, Joey had been diagnosed in 94. So by the last tour, he was really, um, he was really having a tough time getting through shows. And, you know, you could see that just in the amount of songs that I sang live, I was singing, you know, four or five songs live. And Joey was, uh, was, you know, his voice was fading and, and he was really struggling. Um, uh, I think everyone was tired probably because of the, the tour schedule that we maintained. We, you know, for, for guys their age, the band was really, you know, they were, they were really getting out there and, and hammering it. 
Um, and it's not like, you know, the older bands that you have today and guys are a little bit more fit and everything else. You know, the Ramones were from the seventies, you know, they would, they were, you know, physical fitness was part of punk rock. But, um, uh, yeah, the last tour was, uh, it was, it was, I don't want to say it, it, we, we weren't bad in any way, but the band had definitely started to slow down and Johnny realized it and said, you know, before we get up there and, and, um, and start, you know, not looking good, let's, let's retire and, and, you know, retire at, at a good, well, you know, before we're, before we're not what we want to be. And that's, uh, and that's how it went. So, and, you know, can't really, can't really blame 22 years. That's a long career. It's a long time to be doing one thing, no matter how, you know, that's what I try to get people to understand, no matter how cool the job is, at some point it becomes a grind. And, um, and you start feeling it, and that's where the Ramones were. Well, CJ, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's an absolute honor that you came on. I, I hope to hear some new stuff soon. Honestly. Absolutely. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already picked up American Beauty that came out in 2017 or The Holy Spell uh, 2019, you should go pick up those albums. They're awesome. Again, that was the absolutely legendary CJ Ramon from the Ramones. Doesn't get much better than that. I hope you enjoyed. And this concludes our broadcast day.